And so oftentimes I hear uh, from uh, people in power, well, everybody needs to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but not everyone comes with a set of boots. That's Joyce James. We met Joyce while researching predatory lenders. These lenders charge sky-high interest rates on short-term loans. Simply put, they're a financial blight on too many people living on low and unstable incomes. I'm Chris Farrell. And I'm Twyla Dang. And this is Small Change, Money Stories from the Neighborhood. Joyce is the founder of the Middleburg Institute in St. Gabriel, Louisiana, near Baton Rouge. The Institute has a mission of raising the economic, educational, and social level of families in low- to moderate-income communities. After interviewing Joyce, we knew we had to include her in an episode of Small Change. We asked Joyce one of our favorite questions. Where did she learn about money? I think I learned about money first and foremost from my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister. I tell people all the time I'm a PK kid. PK means preacher's kid. Even though he didn't give birth to me, he um, he raised me and my siblings. And so as a Baptist minister, he was he was a, a good steward of, of money. And um, today you would say that he was cheap, but he wasn't cheap. He just managed very well. He had a budget. He talked about allowances. He gave us allowances, but we worked for it. And he um, he he put in place plans that we were able to follow and learn how to manage money and not have money manage us. And I think that's a biblical principle. And so that's where I first learned about money. What Joyce learned about money growing up informs her work with Middleburg. She routinely meets with people living on low and unstable incomes in small communities around Louisiana. These conversations are practical, down-to-earth. Joyce helps people come up with a plan. She calls them town hall meetings. You mentioned that your grandfather liked to put uh, plans in place. Um, And it sounds often like when you're talking to the community, when you're community organizing, that the first thing you do when someone comes to you and says, I'm excited about doing something, is give them a plan. Is that... Do, do you yes. see any connector there? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's it. That's all. Because if you don't plan, then you plan to fail. So I can hear those words from when I was a child. You know, if, I, if, if we wanted to go and get a snowball, something as simple as, as a snowball, he would say, okay, so when do you want to go get it? And we was like, well, I want to go get it right now. And he would say, okay, so where's your money? And we would say, well, we don't have it. So he said, well, you need to plan and you need to come up with how you're going to budget because if you, if you get your allowance and your allowance is a dollar, if it's more than a dollar, how are you going to buy that? So we always had to think forward of how we would spend the money and what the results would be after spending the money. Because if 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 the snowball was a dollar and we said, OK, so we're going to go make a dollar and then we'll come back. And he's like, OK, so you're going to go get the snowball. You're going to eat it all up. And then what are you going to have in your savings? Well, I don't care. I just want the snowball. Well, no, that's not the way we plan. So, so yeah, planning is everything because we have something to measure it by. We have something to look back and say, this is what is done. And we can always tweak the plan. I tell folks all the time, it's like a GPS system. We can always recalibrate. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have that budget in place and you have that plan, uh, one of the principles that he taught us is like, okay, so you want something, let's cut it out, put it on the, and I think today they call that, um, Twyla, help me out here. Oh, the vision board? Yeah, the vision board. But Mm -hmm. back then, and if I tell you how long ago that was, I'll, it, I'll be divulging my age and I'm not going to do that. But uh, we would have to find, he'd have magazines and the newspapers at that time. And he would say, so you want um, a red wagon? Let's cut it out and we're going to put it on the refrigerator. And that's what we would do. And every day we would say, oh, I thank you, God, for the red wagon. And he was like, good, you did well. And so we were like, as we grew up, we used to say, I thank you for the money, God, for the red wagon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 my childhood memories there. So if a young person came to you, you know, they're starting out, they don't have much, and they're trying to figure out this money thing, what would you say to them? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Chris, because we do, we started, the Middleburg started what we call the CSA, it's the Children's Savings Account. So we go into the public schools when the children are in the fourth grade and we talk about money and we talk about savings, we talk about investment, we talk about how interest rates are done. And the first thing that they say is that, well, how do I get the money? So we say, well, do you get allowances on your birthdays? Do you get money on your birthday? If you got money on your birthday and a birthday card, what is the first thing that you would do? Well, I would go buy a Game Boy. Would you use all of your money to buy the Game Boy? Well, yeah. I'm like, well, would you reconsider not doing that? Would you reconsider maybe leasing the Game Boy or renting the Game Boy for like $2? And if you got $10, then put the $8 up or put five of the 10 up and then the other three, maybe you can go treat yourself because we, we don't want to deny ourselves. Um, you know, we need to pay ourselves first, but we want to be very practical in the way. And so to believe, believe it or not, children are very susceptible to savings and they check it. So if you start them off with understanding that you need to put some aside for a rainy day, then they're the leaders in that. And they will also check you and say, did you go into my money? (laughs) So, so yeah, that's what we do because children receive money. They receive money for birthdays. You know, we have kids that says, you know, the tooth fairy is coming and I know that I'm going to get some money. And the first thing I say is, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to go and buy a skateboard. Well, is the skateboard going to take all of your money? And well, yeah. Well, how about if we just wait and find that skateboard on sale? Because, you know, it's going to go on sale. Or could you go on the Internet and shop and see if you can do some comparison, some comparison pricing, you know, because you may see it at a, a certain store at a certain price. And if you go online, it may be even cheaper. Joyce has a two pronged approach. First, sound money lessons are invaluable when it comes to steering clear of financial trouble. Second, she knows individual knowledge isn't enough. When it comes to dealing with financial predators like payday lenders, policymakers need to reform the business and the financial services industry to clean house. 
So what is predatory lending to you? Well, predatory lending to me and to the advocates is where you go in and you're, you need an emergency loan and you are required to do a loan at a minimum of $300. And the interest rate on that loan is at anywhere from 700 to a thousand percent. Now, this loan is secured with your paycheck. So you may have heard of it as being a payday lending uh, option. And so the reason why that is such a barrier is because oftentimes when you're faced with an emergency and you need a quick loan, if you take out that payday loan and it's due in two weeks, when your paycheck arrives, the amount that's due is typically more than your paycheck. So you have to take another loan. And so for us, we feel, and for the uh, people in the community, they feel as if that's a, a debt trap, a debt trap. And so that's what we call predatory lending. Let's unpack this a bit. Payday lenders thrive on financial crisis in households living on low and unstable incomes. An unexpected car repair, a surprise medical bill, broken teeth that need to be fixed immediately. You don't have any other source of credit like a bank loan or a credit card. You have to turn to a payday lender. Payday loans are short-term consumer loans with high fees. You end up paying what amounts to triple-digit interest rates. The loan can often end with someone deep in debt, the debt trap, owing hundreds or even thousands of dollars in interest and fees to the payday lender. So how do people fall into this debt trap? Well, there are several ways we think that people fall into the debt trap is because, one, uh, when you when you are... Uh, when you are looking or seeking to get a loan and you can't go to a bank because of your credit or because of some past discretions with your credit, you are forced to go and get this money from an, uh, an organization or a, uh, a payday lender. And uh, with that being said, that amount of money that you need $300 if you need 200 if you need a set of if you need a set of tires let's say if you need a new tire and the tire is $100 and you're required to get a $300 loan and with that loan your origination fees may make the loan $400 uh and then you go to work and you're working at 725 an hour and you're only working 35 maybe 40 hours a week then with the uh, taxes and FICA and all of that, when your paycheck is, is, is automatically sent to repay that loan and it's not enough, then you have to go back and get another loan. And so we believe, and so sometimes our advocates tell us or the individuals that we work with, they say it is because of poor credit. It is because of lack of income. It is because of not being bankable because sometimes your credit is tied to uh, whether or not you can be bankable. And then it could be because of past history. If you're 19 or 17 years old and you did something that you weren't supposed to do and you have a felony or something like that on your record, then it's difficult not only to get a job, but it's difficult to get a, a loan from a uh, FDIC or a credit union because you don't have an account there because of your past history. So are there alternatives? Are there ways that, you know, people are making not much money but they, you know, emergencies happen. I mean, things sort right. of happen. So 
are there alternatives out there that can help people or people are figuring out ways to get around from these, what's 700 to a thousand percent loans? Yeah. Well, so that's one of the, uh, the focus points on the Middleburg is to not only hear about these barriers and deliver those concerns to our policymakers in order to influence public policies, maybe to make a change to those types of things, but also to provide solutions and help those that are in those situations come up with solutions. One of the solutions that we are uh, currently dealing with is entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship? We didn't see that coming. But the more Joyce talked, the more the solution seemed obvious. Well, we should really say it's one intriguing step toward addressing a much bigger issue. We'll be back with more Small Change. Small Change is supported by Thrivent through generous support from the Thrivent Foundation. Thrivent is driven by a higher purpose to help people achieve financial clarity and to make the most of all they've been given. Small Change is also supported in part by the McKnight Foundation, which works to advance a more just, creative, and abundant future where people and planet thrive. Learn more at McKnight.org. Welcome back to Small Change. A lot of the individuals that we speak with are very talented individuals. And so, uh, what we, what we do is we utilize the free resources that are available through the SBA, through Louisiana Department of Economic Development, through our small business development centers to assist them in starting, expanding, or, uh, you know, engaging in small, in, 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 self-employment type of uh, situations. A lot of these individuals are very, very talented. Louisiana is very known for, very well known for its food, its creativity, its talent, its music. And so oftentimes when we talk to individuals, we're like, what can you sell? What can you do? And, you know, we run into the situation, well, I can make cakes and everybody loves my cakes. Well, what we do is that we provide them with, um, the free resources on how to actually build and expand that small business. And so that becomes a second stream of income until they can actually jump out of the employ, uh, out of the workforce and then go into entrepreneurship. And that's been very successful um, with helping them to uh, have alternatives to uh, getting in the predatory lending rate. And it also helps to pay off the loan. The SBA, she mentioned, is the acronym for the federal government's Small Business Administration. When you suggest to people, maybe you should start a business or have a side hustle, do they mm-hmm. look at you like that's a strange idea or do they look at you and say, how do I do it? No, actually, they look at me and they say, you know, I've been doing it, but I haven't been doing it legally. So how do I do it legally? And when I say that they haven't been doing it legally, it's not like they're they're operating in illegal businesses is just that they may be uh, doing some type of business where there's a cash transaction, whether it's cutting hair or it's making cakes and selling the cakes and not reporting the income. But they're afraid of that because you, 
they're not really made aware of how to actually uh, plan and, and uh, you know, how to price it, you know. So what is the cost if you're baking a cake? And I'm using cake here because I'm a little hungry. But if you uh, if you're making a cake and you're selling okay, now it, I'm getting hungry. OK. And you're selling that cake for twenty dollars and people are lined up at your door to re- to buy the cake. You need to factor in the cost of the flour, the cost of the sugar, the cost of your labor, you know, the cost of the, the, the icing and all of that. And so once we provide them with the instructions and the deck and, uh, the directions on how to factor in, how to, to create your profit, then it's like, okay, so now I can legally do it. I'm not afraid of reporting that I've made a hundred extra dollars this week selling two cakes instead of $100 selling five cakes. We're hungry too. You know, one of the things I'm curious about is, is this community coming together, people in the neighborhood coming together to support each other when someone is starting a business or, you know, some other endeavor? Yes, actually, Chris, that is such a good question because not only is entrepreneurship uh, a way out, but the collaborative e- efforts of there's an old African proverb that says it takes a village. And so when we go into these communities, grassroots communities, we often are uh, meeting with 50 folks. And so it becomes a networking opportunity to say, well, I can babysit for you and I'll start a babysitting business. I didn't know I live two miles from you. So I'll keep your kids and I'll charge you $25 a day as opposed to the $50 a day that, that, you know, that you're faced with if, you know, if you go to a, another, uh, child care facility. And so what we need to do at that point is the person that is saying, I can keep your children. We need to find out what is it that you need in order to have that safety net and be legal with the state of Louisiana. Can you keep six kids in your home? Can you keep 10 kids in your home. So what happens in this, in these meetings is that we begin to build a village where people support one another. Joyce not only connects people, but she guides them with practical steps that increase the odds that their business will succeed. Yes, it does take a village or a community committed to helping each other. It's a slow process and and it's changing, especially with the pandemic. We saw that it brought people closer together, even though we were separated we couldn't, but it brought people closer together, actually, because there were folks in the communities that said, I'll cook and everybody can buy food for me or I'll go to the grocery store for one person or I'll have it delivered to my house. And then we all can get together and put our money in a pot and we can determine how we can save. So savings is also one of the key uh things that we deal with and talk with our communities about. And um, when you explain the importance of savings and how, and you, you do financial literacy, and we don't call it literacy, we call it financial education, and show folks how savings, if it's no more than $5 a week, so, you know, can build your net worth. And so it's really an amazing thing to see. So, why don't you like the word literacy? I don't like it either, but I'm curious. Why don't you like the word literacy, financial literacy? Well, because it, it the word literacy, when we were 
in our most of our communities and we would say financial literacy, they would tell us, where are you saying I'm illiterate? And it's not that you're illiterate, it's just that you didn't know. And so if you didn't know, so we look at education. I didn't know when I started first grade, I'm not going to say first grade, when I started kindergarten, when I started pre-K, that uh, there were uh, after 10, there's 11, 12. So when I was educated, I knew. So we use the word education instead of literacy because literacy gives you the it gives you the feel, and this is what the communities say to us. It gives you the feel that I'm illiterate and I'm not. I just didn't know how to do these things or how to budget. No one ever really taught me that. And so I'm curious, and this just may be expressing a personal frustration of my own, but the stories that you're telling about people coming together, mm-hmm. you know, why don't we pay more attention to this? I really don't know. I think that um, that's something that I think that I'll look at moving forward. Why is it that those of us who are concerned with it don't pay more attention to it? I do believe that you don't pay a lot of attention to it. And this is my personal belief. I've never posed that question to anyone in the in the communities that we seek to serve. But I believe it's my personal belief because folks are so busy living their lives and they never really take the time to to look at what we call have-nots. So until it impacts you and you become familiar with it or you know someone that's familiar with it, it, it it's really not on your, your radar. So, and uh, we saw that during the pandemic when um, support workers, uh, when individual businesses were not able to, or even restaurants were not able to operate because of lack of staffing or the dishwasher didn't come to work. And it was like, really, we didn't know how important the dishwasher was. So I think that we're so, we're so busy uh, in these days and times that we really don't take the time to look at situations that don't impact us or that are irrelevant to us. It's unfortunate, but I think that's the way that we are. And what would you want people to know? I think that the most important thing that I've learned uh, in my travels across the state of Louisiana and in talking with individuals and even talking with policymakers is that we all have a lot in common and no one wants to live in poverty. No one makes the choice to... uh, be at a situation where they have no control over their life. I think everyone that I've met and talked to, you know, just about everyone, they want the home, they want better education for their children, they want the vehicle to get the work, they want to do want to do a really good job. And so oftentimes I hear uh, from uh, people in power, well, everybody needs to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but not everyone comes with a set of boots. So uh, I think that that is what I've learned most of all as I travel and talk to individuals that everybody really wants to be in a situation where they're prosperous and they're able to take care of their family and themselves. What more can we say? I love it. She's so right. We know she's right, especially when it comes to people living on low and unstable incomes. We should be investing and acting on her insight for the good of all. We don't. 
but we should, and it's not too late to start. Thank you for listening. Small Change is a production of Minnesota Public Radio and American Public Media. Small Change would not have been possible without the work of many people, including... Executive Producer Stephanie Curtis, Editor Alex Simpson, Intern Arshia Hussein, Producer Veronica Rodriguez, Original Music is by Dexter Wolf. You can find other Small Change episodes and find resources for more information about money by going to our website, smallchainstories.org. You'll also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.